Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Thank you so much for joining us, Anusha. How are you? Pleasure. Good. Good. Nice to be here. Thanks, guys. And so many people turning out. That's wonderful. Thanks. Beautiful the backdrop you've got going on there. So love that too. <laughs> museum. Yes. Anyway, um, I just thought it has been a crazy week in the world. It's been a crazy year, 2020. Um, firstly, yeah, I just wanted to, I know obviously Australia is very different from America, but what do you make of world events? Do you think there's going to be an impact for us? The stories we tell, how we tell them? You know, I know you're not an oracle or a crystal ball, but what, what are your thoughts on everything? Wow. Yeah, big one, isn't it? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, after COVID and our isolation and, you know, the whole, our industry completely coming to a grinding halt and then this, um, it breaks my heart, actually. It's just heartbreaking what's happening in the US. And I suppose the ripple effect which has existed in this country, you know, for years and years. Um, I suppose the injustices of, you know, our Indigenous friends and, you know, as you know, a lot of my work is working with Indigenous projects and Indigenous directors and producers and storytellers. And I think the impact on everybody has been um, heartbreaking. And uh, what's been, I suppose, nice is that a lot of the screen bodies, like Screen Australia, um, a lot of the casting guilds, the, you know, the production guilds have come forward and been very vocal about how they feel about Black Lives Matter and have either donated money or are in the process of donating money and becoming the fourth round. I mean, Screen Australia's just been posting now, please educate yourself, please understand injustices, watch Australia, you know, Indigenous filmmaking. They've just posted an incredible amount of films that we've all been involved in and documentaries. So if you don't understand the situation and the history, not just in, in Black America, but in Australia as well, of, you know, deaths in custody and treatment of people. So, you know, it, it's the inaction, education, putting a spotlight on discrimination. And I think the diversity committee, which the Equity Foundation has, you know, with the MEAA, which has been incredible, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether it's going to change the amount of work that we do uh, or the types of stories we tell. I think people are angry, hurt, frustrated. Um, I don't know where that leads us except to have empathy and to take action ultimately. You know, there's no more sort of bullshit, nothing talk. It's all very well. But now it's actually covert racism that exists uh, everywhere. Um, is If you're not diverse, if you don't have a diverse background, then try and understand how, you know, I mean, as you, I'm sure Charmaine and as myself have been, you know, my whole childhood and my life has been at certain aspects and, you know, part of my working within within this business is working within it as opposed to outside it. We can make change within it as opposed to being angry outside. And so, you know, right from the very start when I came inside, I was sort of, you know, I wasn't going to say the only darkie in the village, but it was true that, you know, my empathy and my, you know, it was involvement came from a different place. Our thinking is coming from a different place, our empathy from a different place. So I'm not sitting here to tell you to suck eggs at all, but I think is time is to um, just to understand 
understand it and be sympathetic to the cause and try and educate. If you don't know much about it, then bloody well learn, learn about it. Yeah, and I guess the, the harming thing is that, you know, I guess we have a unique position as storytellers and performers and an ability to change and it's been, like, heartening how much unity has come out from it as well. Obviously, there's been some really tragic things, but it's, you know. Oh, you know, some of the images have been incredible, the police kneeling and, you know, and, you know, there's been incredible, there's enormous humanity. And unfortunately, it takes leadership. We don't have it. Um, and I don't think we're ever going to have it, but I think people are sick to death of it. Um, and a small minority of people that are overtly racist or commit these crimes. But ultimately, it's so endemic in our culture. Um, and I, I, I don't know how that's going to change. But I think, as we have done and seen in the last 10 years with our storytelling, with Indigenous storytelling, you know, <clears throat> other filmmakers that have made Chinese stories or African stories or like Stateless or Red For Now or Mystery Road, you know, you get an insight and we're funding those stories. We're telling those stories. And we... You know, don't under, you know, I don't know anything much about the African community unless the African people are telling those stories and we get an insight in it, you know, you know and, and I, I what pleasure to know what that storytelling is coming from. Not a white person telling that story, but the, now the storytellers are being funded and we are looking after those stories. So, yeah, I, I think it's changing. It's, it's slow, but I, I've seen enormous change in the last sort of, you know, five to ten years. Beautiful thing. And speaking of journeys, I want to know more about your journey. How did you get into casting? How long has it been? Um, what do you love about your job? What makes you fall back in love with casting each and every time? Uh, I fell into it. I, I had been, you know, growing up in the theatre. My mum's best friend was working in the theatre as an agent. And so we used to go to all the shows and, you know, I loved musical theatre from the age, you know, young age. And so we were always you know, every night at the theatre or every all weekend. And sometimes I see shows 20 times obsessively. The lights went down, the music starts, you know, showbiz, here it is, you know, the kind of the, the mystery of it all. Uh, but then I, I'm quite political, so I went to university and studied anthropology and fine arts and, you know, I thought I was heading down that track and academically doing that. The whole time I was working part-time, I was also at the Australian Theatre for Young People. So I went as a teenager from about 11 to about 18. I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to work backstage. There were only two jobs. There was acting or production. So I was stage managing a lot of their shows when I was a teenager. Um, so I was pulled from both sides. And then while I when I finished uni, I was going to, well, anthropology was a dying, you know, discipline. No one was wanting to do anthropology at that time. And I got a job working on... 42nd Street, oh no, Les Mis, Les Mis with a really useful company and Cameron Macintosh company. So I toured with that, them for a couple of years and then I got, heard about this job working at Mulliner's casting as a casting assistant to Liz Mulliner and I had no idea what casting was. But because I was fascinated by actors and, you know, going to the theatre all the time, part of my job interview was to watch four auditions for a role and then tell them why I thought, what actor I thought should play that role with the brief. And I watched four auditions. And of course I knew all four actors that were, were doing their auditions. So I said to them, oh, that's a, you know, Joe Bloggs and Joanna Bloggs and blah, blah, blah. And so I immediately got the job. Cause, and then I realized, oh, this is a real job. This is what people pay me for to cast film and television. So I worked with Mulliners for about 10 years and then I went out on my own. So I've been doing it for about 25 years. And what I love about it, what I love about it, oh, you know, I love being part of storytelling and part of 
the journey and I'm one cog in a wheel facilitating a director and producer's dream. Um, and some jobs take me to amazing places. Some, some jobs are, you know, we call them visa card jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. And working with, and every job's different. So you work on one job and then you change on to another job. So, you know, like all of us, I'm a freelance person and each job you're as good as the last job and you work with different people and we're a bunch of carnies. I mean, I realise we're all a bunch of carn mm -hmm. carnival performers. We're circus players. Um, and I met all my like-minded, crazy, fabulous, eccentric beautiful people that are now and will be, you know, my world. And the thought of actually working in a normal job, oh, my God, working in a bank or, you know, doing finance or I just, it, it, you know, I just can't imagine that life. Yeah, totally. Um, and I know we have such a variety of different performers online at the moment, So, but I just wanted to start with the basic process because, you know, as actors, we're often not privy to how you guys receive the job, you get the brief, you pitch actors for it or agents pitch actors to you. Are you able to just give us a rundown of the process? From uh, Well, pretty much, the first, you know, you might be approached by a producer or a director uh, where they've got a project, whether it's unfinanced or financed. Usually I'm, I'm involved very much early process with the writer, the producers and the director to finance a project. <clears throat> we come on board to... You know, recently it's a lot to do with putting marquee name attached to the project. It may come with a name, you know, the, the, the finances and investors and distributors may want originally. So that comes with a project or that's part of my initial job. Then the job gets funded. So what we do is we break down the scripts. If it's a film or a television series, we get a sense of the tone of the show. I mean, pretty much what you do when you read a script you read what, what you know, if, if it's something that I know the director, if it's Peter Duncan, for instance, who's, who's, you know, written and directed Rake, you know, you know where it's coming. You kind of get a sense of the sort of satirical, ironic comedy that he does based in truth. And then, you know, you have a meeting to discuss the tone of the show, the feel of the show, all the things that you do that I kind of have to come with that body because I'm sort of usually come to the meeting with some thoughts already because they've said to me, can you look at the four leads and come with some thoughts. Um, and that's when a lot of discussion is about what, what they want to do and how they want to pitch the show and what they're trying to do. And then comes lots of discussions around the, the cast and around the roles. And then my job and what they're paying me for is to, to find those actors and to find those, you know, to cover those roles. And it's like putting a puzzle together. And usually, you know, I might put the brief out to the agents um, and you know, obviously we, we, might have, we might have to kind of uh, negotiate that with uh, the networks if we're working for a commercial network or ABC, you know, Foxtel, Stan, whoever we're working with. A lot of those discussions early are with those networks because they've invested money and they have a say. And then hopefully they'll leave us alone. It'll just be the director, producer and I sort of working out how we can, you know, pitch the show and, and what actors we can find. And, and that's the great part. And then we do the auditions and we send the scenes and then off you go. Beautiful. And, and what, what steps do you take to find new talent, make sure you're across all the talent that's going on in Australia? I know we don't really have much theatre now, given the environment, but it's coming back. Or do you go to school showcases? I'm sure but many actors are interested in how to get on your radar. Yeah. <laughs> There's so yeah. many actors. You know, obviously we go to all the graduations, you know, or if we don't go to them, then we, they send us the links to all their work. I mean, a, a lot of our jobs, and obviously we work when we're really busy, sometimes we might be doing, you know, two films and two television shows at the same time. It's very difficult for us to be working all day and then go to the theatre 
um, but would try to. We watch short films, you know, your show reels. You know, we're very reliant <clears throat> on newbies from agents. So we trust your agent's suggestions. So if, if we send the brief out to them, they will send us, you know, who they think is right for those roles. A lot of people I know, of course, that's what we, we have to keep up. And then a lot of people that are, we may not know, we might say send some showreels or send some work of their, you know, of, your, of you for the role. And then luckily now, because everyone's capable of doing self-tests, we can actually now, um, you know, we can't necessarily be in the same room with you for days and days and days casting and see 500 people for a role. But if we, if that agent really pushes and says, I really think Charmaine's perfect for this role, I'll go, great. Here's a scene, do a self-test. And, you know, you know, lo and behold, a lot of, a lot of the roles we've cast are from self-tests, which is really exciting. So, I mean, you know, we're pretty open to most things, uh, but I, I think generally, um, we rely on agents. We go to the theatre, we see that we keep up, we watch all the short films, anyone's done web series, anything that you've done is great. You know, either the agent will send it to us or if we've got a relationship with the, you know, I get unsolicited emails all the time of work and I don't mind looking that. I think photos and biogs are sort of irrelevant because I can't see what you do. It's okay to see a photo, but I, I need to see you on screen. Particularly if I'm doing a comedy series and I don't know that you're a great comedic actor, because um, you know, not everyone crosses over. Some, someone, and, but if you if you know that you're great at comedy, then I would send that comedy reel to me just to jog my memory or other casting directors. But in terms of being on the radar, I suppose it's really difficult. You you know you rely on your agent to know what's going on, and so you need to harass your agent to say what's out there, what's going on, what's being cast, what what's up to date. Um, and then of course you know. Don't forget, we might be doing three other commercials. We might be doing a KFC, a you know, McDonald's ad, and that's where we see a lot of people coming through the ranks. And oh. I'm, oh, I'm doing KFC ad. Wow, I've got this great role in a film. You know, it's all in here. We will go, oh, not great for the commercial, didn't get the commercial, whatever, but they're perfect for this film that I'm doing. And then you'll come in and audition. So that works with all casting directors. It's all in our head. So a lot of people... And I think, you know, which leads you to go, well, every time you audition, you start at auditions, there's, there's a group of actors that are consistently fantastic. Every time they do a piece, whether it's an ad, a television series or a film audition, they nail it, you know, and they, they just know how to pitch the tone, right? They have worked and prepared really well. They've made really great choices. They're really great, you know, they've got an enormous um, range. They can do comedy, they can do drama you know, and very few actors can do all of it. And then they know how to pitch for a film that may be very different to a, a television series or the tone of the show that we're doing. So there's so many variants and every job's different, as you know, and every audition is different and everything you go for is in, you're in a different headspace. And then me, I might, well, sorry, Shine, I might love what, you know, five actors did for one particular role. I then have to go and, you know, sell it to the producer and the director and then to the network. And then the whole, that then everything can change overnight because they go, well, we liked, you know, actor A as opposed to actor B because they've got more profile or they've got blonde hair or they're taller or, you know, whatever reason there is, there's a whole <clears throat> other journey and you have to sort of box clever and be very careful how you talk to the network sometimes or the investors to get the actor that you want. So the director and I might be in cahoots um, about we want, you know, someone and other people want someone else. 
I can imagine <laughs> the journey. Like really, you know, without the discussion, you sort of have to go into that meeting and you've got to be negotiate very well and be very careful. And you might hide your favourite in amongst three or four and you don't sort of pitch them and sort of you don't declare cards necessarily straight away because, you know, the network may anticipate that they want a certain actor that's in their pool of, pool of actors, you know, that they love. Um, or they're really up for new, and they surprise you and then all of a sudden they go, great, we want a new face, give us a new person. And we go, great, here, it, here that person is. So sometimes the fight isn't necessarily a fight. Sometimes it's really easy and you go, great, they've seen the vision, they're on our board, they know what the show we're doing and tick, done, great. Beautiful. Um, and just for our freelance friends out there, is there any recommendations for people just trying to get with agents or not there yet or what they can do? Is the show rule the most important part or...? Yeah, showreel or monologues or work that you do. I mean, I, they, we don't want to see American work. I don't want to see you doing American accents for strange film and television. That's for America. So I think if you're going to do new work or you're going to do a screen test or a showreel, then do um, a specific Australian... I mean, you know, work, work out what show you've been watching in the last five years that you can lift a, a scene from and, and do that. Uh, that's that's relevant to our industry. I mean, you know, most actors that are working in the US have come from and became, you know, famous or, you know, successful because of Australian work in film and television. So it's mm -hmm. rare that you do an American thing and you, I mean, you can do it for pilot season and off you go over there. But I think most Australians that have done extremely well have been successful in Australian work. So <clears throat> for me, yeah, if you're freelance, just get a body of scenes, you know, critique your work, make sure it's great. If it's relevant, if I'm doing, you know, whatever show I'm doing, if it's comedy, you've got a whole lot of comedy skits and, you know, if you've got a great character that you've been working on, you know, send that to me. It's, you know, we're, we're happy to watch those, particularly if it's relevant to the job we're doing at the moment. Okay. Um, and let's talk self-tapes. You mentioned them just before. Um, I anticipate with COVID and all these restrictions that self-tapes are going to be even more important. Um, do you have any recommendations for self-tapes? Are there any do's and don'ts that you'd love to see, don't love to see, anything that can help our guys? I think self-tests are really important. And look, there's no, the difference between performance is no different if, if you're in the room. However, you know, obviously because you've got the, you're, you're, you're doing it yourself. Obviously about, you know, mid-shot, if you can keep in mid-shot where we're all at, you know, not too wide. There's nothing worse than seeing, you know, you at the back of the room, can't get a close-up, unless you're doing two takes, do a mid-shot and a close-up so we can see your face. Good sound, good lighting. If it's set in a bedroom, shoot in the bedroom. If it's set in the kitchen, shoot in the kitchen. It doesn't have to have necessarily a white wall. I mean, I've just done it recently and it, all these great, you know, auditions that came from home with people in the house, in the kitchens, and it was basically a guy making a sandwich and singing a song to his girlfriend. And, there's, and they're really charming and gorgeous, you know, and they don't necessarily have to be edited well. You just need to be able to see you and use your best eyeline um, and play, you know, just have a bit of fun. But in terms of, you know, the same... same same information, same applies to if you're in the room. I mean, I've got some notes about preparation. So if you know, you know, pre preparing for an audition is most important, I, I think, is read the material if you've got it. If you can get the scenes, get the script, know who you're dealing with, who are the producer, who are the directors, have you done your homework in the first place? Do you know, have you watched Australian film and television, every single thing that been, has been made in Australia for the five, last five years? There is absolutely no excuse for you guys that are working in this business to know and watch, whether it's crap or fabulous, you need to watch it, even if you watched an episode of it or watch it all. You know, I mean, I know we all love to watch Netflix and, you know, watch 
American stuff or English stuff, but you really, this is the business you're working in. You have to understand who the directors are, who the production companies are, what they produce, the tone of the show, what they particularly have a genre, each production company normally have a genre of filmmaking or a genre of television. Um, so that you are informed when you go into that audition, you know that if it's a, you know, if it's, if it's Blackfellow Films or if it's Matchbox or it's Seesaw, what quality of work that they do. So that, sorry, my dog's barking. Yeah. She can come in. <laughs> so understand who you are and watch the work and you should be able to critique that work really, really well. I mean, that's what we all do. I mean, that's what I do for a living. Apart from casting, I need to be able to go into a meeting and critique a show an actor's performance, the, the puzzle, why it doesn't work, why it does work, what happened. This is your business. So if you don't have language for that and you don't have any reference to that, then, you know, the other people do. And guess what? They, they know better and they know how to pitch better. They are prepared better. They come into the room better. They're more relaxed because they know. And so that leads you into critiquing performance and other people's performances in your own performance. So the more practice you get at that, the better and less, less you know, um, less mystery surrounding why people got roles and why didn't. You know, if you see the same people on screen all the time, well, why? Because they're good and they're consistently good. And some are celebrities, but most of that are working all the time and are jobbing actors that work all the time. They are consistently, the ones I talked to you before, they're consistently giving something really interesting in an audition. They make interesting choices. They commit to those interesting choices, but they're flexible enough to move and change. Uh, and they can transform. Um, so I think research is really good. Understand tone of the show. You know, be, you know, big, big no-no is if you don't understand what the word means or the pronunciation of the word, you know, if there's a word in there, like, I don't know, that you're unfamiliar with, you don't know the meaning of it, you don't actually understand the grammar, then, you know, learn it, read a book, work it out. The amount of actors that come in and have got the wrong pronunciation of just a general word that they should know. I mean, just, I did a show the other day called, uh, called the, the End and the two characters were Oberon and Persephone. And the amount of actors that came in and said Persephone, and I just was like, whoa, like, why would someone be called Persephone? Look, that they're Shakespearean words. There's a reference to that, why these people are called that. It's inexcusable that I kept saying it's Persephone. I was going to say Persephone. Uh, Persephone. So, you know, if, if you don't know what, I don't know, whatever word it is, then don't come in the room and then say to me, what do, I don't know what the meaning of that word is. I mean, you've had three days to prepare, for God's sake. So these are, these are just stupid mistakes that is inexcusable, which is what you do for a living. So understand grammar, read a book. You know, be intelligent, make intel which informs you of the backstory and why the story is being told. Um, so, yeah, make choices. Pace, you know, pace and rhythm. I mean, some, some scripts aren't so great. Other scripts are really great. Like on something when I'm working with Peter Duncan, I've referenced for Rake. He's meticulous. He's, he's, a, he's a creator and writer, beautiful writer. And everything, he hears the beats, the rhythms in, in his lay. And, he, and he, every semicolon, as, you know, full stop, every comma is heard in his head. And so you would not deviate from that script. Um, where other scripts you could improvise around, if it sounds a bit clunky, totally get it. You can improvise in the room and make it. With Peter, you know, I, and if you know the work and if you've done the homework, you would realise that these, these are brilliant scripts and you just don't mess with them. You say it as it is. And then the pace is good, the tone's good, 
and you get and you can feel it when you're reading it as actors you can feel it go wow this just rolls off once you get the pace and the rhythm it just it's really easy to say which leads you to a great performance because it's slightly high, it's slightly heightened but it's authentic and you stay in the truth so even if you're doing satire or comedy you always base it in its truth you know, unless it's high absurd sort of comedy silly stuff or skits but even still you know that's what the best comedy is if it's based in its sort of truth if you play that um act react listen listen a lot of a lot of times you know it's not about what you say it's about how you're reacting what you're saying listening you know the camera's on you in an audition it's not like it's about them back on that person so what's really important is what you do when someone is talking and you're reacting you're not just listening and waiting for your next line i can see when you just all you're worried about is the next line actually be in the zone i don't care if you you know if you get lost and you improvise it or the other actor or the reader will help you get back on track because you're so in the zone because you're listening that that's great you go oh great and you're reacting the way because you know screen tests for me it's it's more interesting i mean sometimes yeah of course what you're saying but it's about how, how what the reaction is what you do in the re in in the in the listening part of it as opposed to going i've got my lines and that's fine. that's fine that happens you know we're not total assholes um <laughs> Uh, but I think this is all in about preparation. So when you come in the room and you know we want you to do well and this whole idea that, you know, we make or break careers, we want you to fail, you know, it's the most terrifying experience. I totally understand because you, your lives depend on it and you're, you're, and unfortunately you bring that in into the, you know, to the room. If you can just go, okay, the audition part is the fun part. I mean, kids do it all the time when they come in for auditions. They just think that's, that's the fun part. The audition is... The great bit, they don't think about the end result that where they're getting the job. They just go, oh, it was fine. We learnt the lines and we, now we can play in the room. And I think if you can go in with that attitude and go, "Where you know, this is just fun, highly unlikely I'll get this job anyway. I'll just enjoy this process. I'll get rid of my nerves, my dry throat and just go, this is just fun. If you can do that, you know, that then... And, and know that we want you to do well. I mean, you you guys make me look good. You know, if I, if I can present 20 great auditions to my my producer and director, they go, oh, no, she's fantastic. This is great. I don't want to send in a whole lot of crap or half-assed nervous tests because I want you to do well. And clearly we're all business. I'm not there to stroke you and hug you and, you know, go, I know it's hard for you. I mean, we all know that. Sometimes I get nervous. The directors get nervous if they're in the room. They're terrified. Um, they don't know how to talk to actors unless they're, act they're, they're actors who become directors. Most directors are have come through the ranks as crew. They don't necessarily, they, they haven't ever done an acting class. They don't have the language, they're learning on the job as well. And each actor is different in, in the way that they interpret information or, or you know, what they need in the room. If someone says, you know, they might waffle for five minutes. I'm sure all these actors here will know that, you know, directors that waffle to get the end result when in fact they could have just said, pull it back. <laughs> back. Sit back on it, throw it away. Don't labour every line. So, I mean, simple things that I see, if a director's in the room, I just go, oh my God, they're waffling and the actor's getting more and more confused. And I sort of, I can't interrupt and go, just, just bring it down, make it more intimate, quiet it down, you know, throw it away. Those things that, you know, we can, we can say if we're in the room and I can say to an actor to shortcut everything, breathe, just sit back, you know, because everyone's pushing, 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 maybe a bit hard. And I think with, um, and again, it comes down to the, to the type of show you're doing and the type of film you might be doing that sometimes, like, you know, if I'm, I'm working with a beautiful, oh, God, my dog, sorry. Can you hear it? 
I might have to put it down. Hold on. Um, I think uh, depending on the show, you know, some directors might say or might, you know, the tone is very Mike Lee-ish or, you know, like right. Mystery Road that I'm working on for now. It's all based in, in uh, being quiet. Sorry, hold on. I'm just going to get with this stupid dog. Hold on. <laughs> Um, guys, whilst um, Anoush is uh, attending to her dog, she very kindly um, offered that if any actors have feedback or things that they like to... Anoush, I was just letting everyone know whilst you were looking after the little doggy, that um, you kindly offered when we were chatting before that if anyone had feedback about things that make them comfortable in the room that you would really be interested in hearing it whether it's just a message or um you know we'll take questions later but yeah yeah i mean if you've got any ideas because i a lot lot of here i am telling you how to be and what to do but what would be great is for us to be able to share information to say what you want you know what what would make you feel better how would it help you as actors having a relationship with us what would it what would help you know and any advice that we can kind of do you know, not necessarily in the room or, I mean, obviously we can't give everyone feedback. We can't, you know, after at weeks and weeks of auditions, we can't then send everyone, a re, you know, an email about why you didn't get the job or how to improve your performance. But it would be good to know, you know, what it is that, what, what are the things that worry you and how, what you, you know, you're concerned about. And if we could all talk and put our hands up and talk informally, it'd be great. Because it'd be good for us to learn <coughs> how to, how, what your needs are. So if you've got any if you've got any things you want to ask or what you feel, you know, as statements without being rude to me, thank you very much. <laughs> Just putting that out there, but <laughs> yeah, all casting directors are assholes. Yeah, <laughs> never. I think we wish they were all like you. Um, but we, a uh, quick question, like um, just elaborating on you know the, the, the components of a good performance. Is there kind of like a little secret sauce? You know, I have like lots of people, you know, in the US, lots of people are always talking about like essence and, um, you know, is there sort of a like, one of the things my acting teacher said to me when I was um, going through it, it stayed with me for all of my career, is that like the best actors seem to uh, sit in the center of themselves. Is there just a relaxedness that people have or is there just a, just wanted to find your thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, look, it's some actors, you know, sort of trans, they sort of blossom and flower sometimes, you know, five years down the track or in a certain, and, and I, I, I think sometimes it's about who, knowing who you are, being able to critique yourself and, and sit and, and really assess who you are um, and how you think and your life experiences that you bring into the room. You know, I mean, I think actors, we're all, you know, and this, our business is all about empathy and storytelling and who you are. Because, I mean, I don't think actors, actors can pretend and to play characters they're not. But ultimately, what you're, what, where you're sourcing all this information and this emotion and, and is coming from who you are, I gather. Because, you know, something, that, and also, it, you know, knowing that your face, you might have resting bitch face in, I mean, I'm using these silly terms, but, you know, are you oozing warmth? Are you just a warm person that you, you can't, you know, and sometimes you need, gra- or you don't have gravitas. Do you have gravitas? Are you scary? Do you need to work against 
you know, being overly warm or are you overly cold? The decisions that you know, I mean, you know, you need to know who you are and what you come across as. Because on screen, something that you, if you've watching back and you're getting critique from friends and, and true, honest, not nasty comments, but, you know, you can play school principals at 25 as opposed to being 50 because you have a sense of confidence, assurity, gravitas, you know, all of those things that you know about yourself and that you can bring into the room. And then you play the truth and you don't have to act it. You know, you are, you are playing what, and the choices that you make come from your empathy, your life experience, your being. Um, and then you can sort of play against that. But I think, or, I don't know, I don't know what makes a great actor except practice and being confident about the choices you make and making really authentic, truthful decisions and commit to that when you're in the room and be able to be flexible about that. And sometimes some actors can just, they just read the material, they know exactly what it is and they play and they pitch because it comes back to years and years of life experience and knowing I know that world, I feel that world and I'm going to play possibly opposite. If it says she's crushed and crying and, you know, of course, most of us, I've had this conversation before when, we, when it says, you know, she cried and sobbed. In fact, what's interesting is most people try to cover their crying. You know, they, it, it, unless you're at home with a close friend or you're by yourself and you sob and you can freely, you know, what people try and do is cover all the time to present a facade to the outside world. It's fine. And what that little moment of a chink in their armour where we see their true vulnerability is the thing that breaks us our heart. And it might be, you know, a quick grab, a little moment that we see they drop their guard and then, then they have to pull themselves together and they just lay it with, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And that they're interesting. Or if it says they're angry and they're screaming or they're furious, I yeah, you can have a scream, but really, is, is it interesting? No, it might be interesting that you're constantly suppressing your anger. And, you know, you start the scene knowing that the backstory was that, you know, for three scenes earlier, they were pissed off and now they're bringing it, but they have to present something else. And then it's just simmering away and you can feel that tension. You can feel the anger and then, and then they might have a moment where it spits out something and then they sit back on it again because no one wants to be disliked. No one wants to be, you know, and understanding humanity and understanding people's reactions and the way you do it or other people you're observed, I think is, is are interesting. So I don't know why actors, I think that, you know, they've got a lot of heart and they bring that to the room. Uh, and that's what's interesting for me in that room. Sometimes it can be completely off and I'll go, wow, I hadn't even thought about that. The director wanted it this way. And then someone will come and just do a really interesting skewed version of, and I'll go, wow, that hadn't, that's amazing. And show it to the director and go, wow, that, you know, and they kind of lean towards that because it's complex. I think, like I was saying to you before, if we're doing film and, you know, we know the camera's going to be, really tight on a big screen. It's not what's said, it's what's going on in their head. And I, you know, example of, I think I've used this example before, but Guy Pierce in the Rover, there's moments where he's looking out to the desert and the camera's on him and holding for, I don't know, a minute or so. But you can see almost three different emotional transitions going on in his head, which is so moving and, and just go, wow, he's not doing anything. He's just looking out, but everything is going on. And so, you know, I don't know what how Guy gets there or what he's thinking about or why it transfers over, but something's going on that it, he's encompassed everything and where he is in his location. And then, bang, you cover him, your face, and you just go, wow, it's so moving because he's thinking, he's going through that that himself, and it's it's all on the face. 
That's beautiful. And I think, I think also, you know, a lot of my work that, you know, when I'm working with Indigenous communities and, you know, if I'm in Redfern, when we're doing Redfern now, a lot of the stories or story may have been on talking about um, stolen generation and pain and taking children, a lot of what we've been seeing in America, you know, and it's visceral, it's, it's, it's intrinsic and we can all go to work and we can all present and we hand over hamburgers and whatever we do and we're all charming and nice. But, you know, when something happens like this and it's a fury and someone takes your child away and you ramp up of years and years of, you know, feeling hurt and crushed and resentment and anger and then you go, okay, and now the scene. And then, you know, a lot of my scenes with working in communities sometimes is I don't even give them the scene. I just tell them the story and we improvise. And I said, okay, I'm a cop. I've just come to say, get off the road. You're in the middle of the road. And the fury, and it's like, don't you fucking tell me what to do. You know, and it's, and it's, it's real. You know, it's not coming from, it's not acting. If I got, you know, a student from NIDA to do that, it would be performed as opposed to, you know, what the fuck? And it's like, and it's just like years and years of fury and yeah. I get it, you know, and hurt and pain and vulnerability. And it's all on the face. And so, I'm not saying that you as actors can't do that, but you know what I'm saying is sometimes those performance and that authenticity and truthfulness that is inside us is just is there, and it's, you can't beat it. Oh, that is that is yeah, that's so beautiful to hear because it's the truth, right? We all, even people who aren't um, you know theatre aficionados, film aficionados, they can spot the truth or not. So it's uh, yeah. Well, that's right, and you know when you're in it, you know when you're in an audition, and you know years and years of me being in the room, and I, you know, sometimes people, I can see when they've come out of it or they're in it, and you know, I might start the first thirty seconds of a scene, I go, I stop, let's just stop, and rarely do I stop an actor going, but I can go, you're not in it, you're not in the zone, they know it, and we go, oh, can we start again and just get back into the zone? So I, I can't tell you how to do that, you know how to do that. I don't know how to get make that space comfortable, you know, and we're talking about topping and tailing sometimes scenes to get you into that. So if there was a scene that, you know, say you were out and it was the cops and they were, you know, you were on the run, you stole something and the cops were after you and this scene that you're about to do is, you know, three scenes after that and you're puffy, anxious, you know, whatever you're going to bring into that room and that, that scene and I go, okay, rolling and action. You know, you need to be, you know, that needs to all be there. It needs to, that comes and then sit on it, you know, because we, we want the intensity, we want the... That, that you've got to be in that zone there not like you're walking down the shop to buy milk you know and, and sometimes I've got to ramp up people to say okay you've just robbed a bank and the cops are after you and you're in a back down back lane okay where are you go you know so that's you've got to be able to get in the room and go right that's exactly where I am this is how I'm feeling I'm scared shitless I'm tense now and you and you start the scene and if it means that you have to say something or turn around or you know fall over and get back up to get into that zone and go you know whatever it's fine and I'll go great fall over trip over head bang against the wall whatever you need to get there is because you need to start that scene absolutely there I, I can't spend three takes getting you there because it's it's one one it's boring and it's and it's sort of you know that's why other people do come in the room like that and they're actually. And you go, great, now we can play. Okay, you've got that. Now let's do this on that emotional transition. Let's play something else. And I can give direction and we can sort of head down that track. But if you're sort of coming in half-assed and not in that zone, then it's very difficult to get you there. I mean, we can, but um, that's what I mean by being prepared and really knowing. And also if there's three people in the scene and you've only got one reader, you know, don't do all your lines to one reader you know, and you should be going, one reader's doing the bulk of the work, but, you know, you've got that eyeliner and that, that eyeline, 
but you prepare that. So when you come in, I go, great. Okay, there's the reader. Where would you like them? Yeah, I've thought about it there. And then I've got that, that, I say that to that person. I say that to that person. So you've worked it out. So it looks fantastic, you know, as opposed mm. to all your scenes to one person and you don't need to make eye contact because you can also impose things on that reader that you want to try and, you know, if you want to ignore them or you want to be, you know, give them a dirty look or some, some a moment that we see on camera because the camera's looking at you this way, that we see that moment we glance over at that person and or ignore that person because you're doing a dialogue over there. These all have an incredible, it's just skill and it's practice to know what you do in a room and when you're looking that way and then you're trying to ignore that person or you, whatever you're trying to do to that person, what, the, what your agenda is and where the scene's going, where you're heading. Anyway. I'm speaking of skills and practice. I'm going to try and squeeze in just a couple more questions and then I'll stop hogging you and hand you over to the people. Um, do you have any suggestions for what actors could be during, doing during this time of readjustment? You know, we're kind of still feeling our way through just to build their skills. Watch everything in Australian television and film. Just do it. Just watch it. Even if it's, you know, whatever you can get a hold of, watch it. These are the people you're about to work with or are going to work with or the directors you're going to meet. And the, the DOPs, you know, they're usually the same. Do you know, if someone says to you, you know, I don't know, Warwick Thornton, do you know every film Warwick's done? You know, like one of the greatest DOPs in the, in the world, you know, you should know his work. It's, it's embarrassing if you don't. You know, it's because it's, it's, you will have a conversation and, and really this is the business you're working in. Um, and then I think practice. You know, you get a group of you together and just two short scenes and look back at it and critique each other's work. What do you do this weird thing with your mouth, you know, when you're nervous? Have you got to tell? You know, do I believe it? How can you do it differently? What am I doing with my face? Do I feel warm? Am I warm? Am I cold? Am I charismatic? Am I sexy? Is my body, do I have two feet on the ground? Do I carry gravitas? Can I look like, do you believe that I'm a policeman? And if, I, if, if, I, if you don't, then how can, I, how can I become a policeman? You know, what, what do they do to puff up? And people's body language, you know, we talk about body language, people stand on one foot when they're nervous or they give their power away. If you put two feet on the ground and how does that change your body and the delivery? These are things that you need to practice in class or by yourself in the room and then really get serious about language and how to direct them. Because if you were directing performance, if you were directing a television show or directing other actors, what would you say and how would you get that performance? And that's what I think, this is what I do, but you know, and I'm not a director and I'm not a, you know, an actor, but sometimes you've got to be able to look at something and go, how can I change that? How can I tweak it slightly to get what I need or you need? Okay. Especially, my other question, um, just especially if you um, work with so many beautiful Indigenous creatives and a, a plethora of different creatives, like, it's a hard question, but what's your take on diversity in the industry and where we're heading and your excitement uh, about it? Yeah, I, I, I think, I, you know, I'm, I feel really positive, even in times like this, when you go, oh my God, are we here again? Um, I do feel positive and I think, you know, we've made some amazing shows and films and it's not just Indigenous, it's, you know, it's all sorts of, you know, amazing stories that have come through the rank like Tiny Airs um, and runs now Matchbox Pictures. You know, there's some fantastic stuff. And I, what's exciting is the funding bodies are interested in telling these stories and diverse stories and whether it's gay, straight, disability, queer, you know, 
that all comes under the banner. And, you know, I wish we didn't have a word called, called diversity. I wish we were just all human beings and we told the story. And I'm sort of sick of us being on the outside calling ourselves diverse, like we should be, you know, please look after us. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it shits me because we've all our stories relate in many ways on so many levels. However, I, I'm excited by... Um, you know, the amount of stories that will come. And we haven't gone away. It wasn't like just a bit of toast, you know, a bit like, you know, uh, the, the token gesture. You know, we did five year, good years of Indigenous work. I think we're here to stay. Um, yeah. And people want to hear those stories. And it's a misnomer that people say, you know, dark stories or diverse stories don't rate. It's total bullshit. In America, mm. you know, from Crazy Rich Asians to The Wire, you know, those stories, people are interested. They want to hear those stories. They pay for those stories. It makes money. And so if I hear another person say, no one, it doesn't rate and no one gives a shit and it's not going to make any money, it is totally absolute bullshit. We don't want to watch crap anymore. There's a, we're an intelligent audience. We're desperate for story and opening new worlds. So um, I think it's old school thinking. And until those old school people, you know, go, uh, the new young people that, you know, like you guys uh, are there to tell those stories. And I can't wait to the next, next you know, round of people that are going to tell their fabulous story and insight. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I've, you know, for, I mean, I've, I love doing Home and Away. I did Home and Away, my first job. I did five years on Home and Away and it was hilarious. It was the best thing. I loved it. You know, watching young people on the show, incredibly white, very Palm Beach, rates you know in england we've told a fantasy of australia and it's the true i mean it is a true section of australia you know we've got all the beach culture i was i grew up in bondi i, I lived on that beach you know it wasn't my story necessarily i wasn't in a bikini and riding a surfboard and getting chico rolls for the guys but it's you know it's australia that we identify with whatever color we are but i think and they were great days but i think stories like redfern now mystery road redfern now was groundbreaking because they, they went in with that show thinking no one watch it. <clears throat> the ABC committed it, Sally committed to it. Sally Riley, who was the head of the Indigenous, who's now head of drama at the ABC, made this extraordinary series. And it was extraordinary because it not only internationally, but for our nation, people were coming up to me saying, I just can't believe Aboriginal people go to Bali for holidays. I can't believe Aboriginal people are doctors. And I was just going, it changed the psyche of the old school story of the sad sack, red fern, you know, misery story to the stories relate to all of us. And, mm. you know, whether you're white, black or brindle. And I think it was a real eye opener. And from there, and it hugely rated, rated, rated really, really well. And I think it was exciting time and everyone started to believe. So blah, 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 blah. And you spotted some amazing talent in those home and away days as well. I mean, it's pretty, pretty I great. I tried. It was a bit harder to get to have that argument. And I've certainly had some plenty of arguments with many um, <laughs> suits at networks and, you know, and where they would have liked to go at me. Um, I've had many arguments and, and caused a lot of problems and they loathe me with a, from a, with a passion. <laughs> um, and actually Fiona, who's um, on here, told me that The Heights just sold to the BBC. So I think the world's changing, which is great. But um, I'm going to throw to Alex to put some people on for questions now. Thank you so much for sharing. So well much. done, Fiona. That's great. I can't see you anywhere. I can't see who's on there. There's four pages. I can't see anybody. <laughs> Hi, Anoush. Thank you so much for doing this. Pleasure. Um, I just had, I had a couple of questions. Um, I guess I'm curious about what like really draws you to a particular project and what really excites you about um, a script that you get that you choose to cast. Um, 
And also, would you consider casting projects that are not set in Australia? Would you be, would you consider casting projects um, set in a different country? Oh yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah get me somewhere fabulous. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, you know, look, I, I rarely say no to a job unless I don't particularly like the people that are involved or the subject matter. You know, it might be, I don't know, you know, blood, what are those blood things? You know, horror movies or blood. You know, I'm not into horror films and people stabbing and if they're sexist or racist comments, it's usually not my bag. Um, but, uh, of course, the jobs I love are the ones that, you know, one, send me to Arnhem Land or to Kununurra or Broome and we're telling great stories of all the ones that I've been doing. So I'm lucky that I work with some beautiful filmmakers and we're telling really interesting stories. And, you know, it is a, it is a sort of the, in the lap of the gods, ultimately, if the show that we have started on and committed to and love ends up being as good as we think it and will be. You know, you just, it, all the planets align sometimes and, it, and it's brilliant stuff. And sometimes all the planets don't align and you go in with goodwill and you try your best and sometimes that show doesn't work necessarily. Thank you. Pleasure. Suzanne? Oh, hi. Hi, thanks so much for being here. Um, so my question is, um, what advice would you have for an older actor like me? Um, I predominantly spent my career in the theatre um, and, you know, not done um, a lot of TV or film. Um, and so I'm just wondering what advice you'd have to make that, for a theatre actor to make that transi transition to screen. And I always worry that um, it's probably what's held me back, that because I have come so far down my acting career and not worked in the medium, that that might be the very thing that becomes a hindrance. Bit of advice. <laughs> it's always exciting to have actors, new actors on the, particularly older actors, because, you know, the, the, most actors leave the business at a certain age because they have families and they need to earn a living. So it's really exciting when you sort of get, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old actor that's come out of the wood go, go now I've got time to do this. Um, have you got an agent? I'm assuming you've got an agent. I don't because my, I, my theatre work, even though I work professionally in the theatre, it doesn't really require me to have an agent. So I've been freelance for a really long time. Well, I would suggest that's the first place port of call because then you're in the loop and you hear of jobs and you can go to commercial castings, you can, you know, and get, get seen and get heard and know, know about the job. And then maybe, like I said, put together a couple of scenes, shoot them and just do a bit of a reel because that's what they will send to me. Because I, I think I can say, yeah, great, Susan, for a casting, but I don't know what you can do. So I think, yeah, play and something. Can I just ask, um, with, the, with the show reel, do you need to do that, you know, full-on professional has to be shot or can it just be on your iPhone? Like, does that work these days? Yeah, just shoot it. Just, I mean, you, you could probably do better than an iPhone. You could sure. try someone to get a camera and yeah. shoot two scenes, you know, just shoot, okay. you do comedy, do a comedy scene that you really love and just get a mate to read opposite and shoot it and then do the same. And then just put that on a little Vimeo or, a, you know, whatever site that you can email to everybody as you go because that's all you need. You don't necessarily have to do the big show, especially you don't have a show really, you don't have professional yeah. work on your show yeah. really. That's, you need to start somewhere. So that would be the scene you need to do. And that's all you need. And that's the way you would get your agent as well. So start with that first, then get an agent and then see me. Great. Thanks, Anish. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, I actually had a bit of a question just in regards to when you're first sort of trying to hone in on your brand and what you sort of put yourself out there as. Um, I know people normally say sort of pick one and I know um, 
for myself, you know, I, I find that I can do quite serious drama and then also, you know, more casual, lighter roles. Can that be quite conflicting for casting directors? Do you think it's better to sort of try and stick to one direction or brand or niche or just no? Because <laughs> the word brand makes my... Uh, I just want to vomit. <laughs> I was so hesitant to say it. I was like, don't say brand. <laughs> no, it's like such an American commercial term. I, just, I know. It's ridiculous. It doesn't mean anything. It's just ridiculous. It's like, you know, know. not a pair of shoes, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. I can't stand it. So, no, you're an actor. Yeah. What, what, exactly. you, what are you good, good at? So, um, you know, but know, know what you're capable of. So if you do comedy, do comedy, like just like I said, do a comedy reel. If you're good at drama, yeah. do that. But branding is irrelevant in our business. I don't, you're not, a, you know, housewife from Beverly Hills, whatever. If you want to sell a pair of okay. So I completely agree. Like we're still human beings at the end of the day. Like we're, you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like apparently, like occasionally. No, yeah, well, I wasn't aware of that. But yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, possibly. Yes. Every now and again. <laughs> yes. So I think treat yourself like that. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, we hear it sometimes, and I'm, and I'm, I'm actually trying to challenge that because I just think, no, but I can do more than one role, so. Yeah, well, if you can, then show it. But, you know, if you, some people can't, some people can. But, again, yeah. practice. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Good to hear. Thank you. Fiona. <laughs> You're on. I'm on. Hi, Nusha. Hi, Good to see you. <laughs> and you. Um, I'm going to uh, hijack this um, in, a, in a very small way, but, but I have to say, um, in honour of your incredible uh, passion and support for telling Australian stories that employ Australian actors and, you know, the, the artists and the crew and the technicians beside us, I don't know if the 160 fabulous participants um, on, on this session are aware that the Australian content regulations for um, television are actually under threat at the moment. They've been suspended by the government during this COVID period. They're under review. They've got some options out there, which of course the union is um, making a submission about in a way that will advantage members, advantage us. But there's a really important petition that's current at the moment. And I'd just like to tell people about that. It's, um, it's in support of Australian content, in support of everything that you're a champion of and that we've been talking about and I know that we're all interested in. It's in support of opportunities for all of us to, to be working and, and telling Australian stories. So if I put the URL in the chat thingy, it would be, um, Alex will share it around, and it would be fantastic if the 160 people here could, could jump on, sign that petition that's going to be tabled in Parliament on the 10th of June, and, uh, and then share it amongst their networks, because Australian stories on television don't all happen just because the networks want them there or because the streamers want them there, we actually have to be active champions for it in the way that you always have been too. So can I just jump yeah, in? I feel it's Alex here. Um, we are not uh, an open chat. So are you able to just um, read out the website now? Oh, yes. Can I remember it? Um, Do you want to look it up, Fiona? Tiny.cc forward slash binge petition tiny t-i-n-y dot c-c forward slash binge petition or you can go onto the great australian binge website which is the the popular campaign that you know is raising awareness of this 
um, you'll find the, the link there or the Mia website or the Mia Facebook page. Or the but Canadian. you can tell how many times I've written that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. And Alex, will you, is that, a, that, I'm sure that's on the Mia website and also Equity Foundation. It'd be great. Yeah. And also, if people can't remember, they can email me if, if I'll get it from Fiona. But, but look on those resources first and, it, it's, and there's a meeting at 2 o'clock too. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a meeting at 2 o'clock, which everyone should have got a notice about. So look, look on your emails and then we'll get more information there too. Thanks. Thanks. That's great. And, it's, and look, at that. that's been part of my discussion with all the producers and they're heartbroken about that too because obviously Screen Australia has been a great support for producers at the moment. They're trying to fund and get development money up for a lot of projects. But if the networks, like you say, in Australia are not forced to have any kind of Australian content, and well, nothing will be made and they have no investment in that at all. So I, I totally support that and, and that's, that's been a lot of discussions between SPA and all the producers or the guilds. Um, how to lobby government on this. And in particular, you know, the other thing is that, you know, we can't shoot until we've got a insurance policy, you know, insurance companies cover. So they're asking the government also to underwrite a lot of the insurances so we can get back into production. But if the networks don't care about us, then they won't. And we'll get a whole lot of crappy American shit. <laughs> Welcome to the world for the next two years. And, and no production. So, yes. Thanks, Fiona. Thank you. Anyone else? Oh, yeah, millions. Oh. Andy, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for doing this. Um, I'm uh, one of those fifty-plus actors who have sort of stopped and had a family for a while there, and uh, and uh, thinking about getting back into it. But at the moment, I'm more of a dadager to my nine-year-old daughter, who uh, has been getting a lot of work lately. So I'm I'm sort of looking after her IMDb account, and you know, the the other sort of social media stuff, which you know. So I've got, kind of got like a 1A, 1B question. Uh, how important is it your IMDb account to, say, casting agents? And what needs to be on there? Like, obviously, you, your titles that you've worked on and stuff. But then when you start to put extra stuff on there, like I've put, you know, the, the, um, the trailers of films or even a commercial showreel. But, I mean, that's I suppose that's the first question. And then really from another social um, media point of view, how important is that as well to a casting agent for, for what you guys look at? Uh, I think for IMDb, I mean, we use IMDb and because and, if they're not on Showcast, you know, if they don't have a Showcast profile, I'd rather use Showcast than, you know, IMDb because it'd be nice to access their reels or footage that they have. But if you're doing that on IMDb, then that's certainly useful as well. But again, all those, you know, measures or star ratings and social media. I mean, you, 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 she's your daughter. You don't need to do any of that. Yeah, yeah, Just put yeah. the reels on and some of the footage that you need and then pretty yeah. much update the work that she's done. Um, I'm assuming she's got her agent as well. Yeah, yeah, she's got a great agent. Yeah, so the agent can do that. So, you know, they can they can put that stuff on as well. It's nice that you're managing. Is she really keen to do this? She loves it. She's, she's smashing it. Yeah, she, she really loves it, yeah. That's great. But, yeah, you know, IMDb is a great source for credits and a bit of, you know, a few photos and maybe a few, you know, um, trailers or footage. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Oh, red screen. <laughs> you have done unmute yourself, Clarissa. Hi. Hi. Have I unmuted myself now? <laughs> Hi, Anusha. 
Um, just my question around, I guess, I have actually never seen you, so I hope to see you one day. Um, but my question would be around what, how, um, if an actor bombs an audition with you, um, do you ever give them a chance and call them back again? Yes. Oh, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> of course. The amount of actors that have bombed or got nervous or dry mouth or, or ran away out of the studio crying. The amount of times I've run after actors to, you know, go, don't give yourself a hard time. This is what I mean by, you know, getting, getting your shit together before you walk in the room and really preparing and knowing that we want you to do well. And that's half, I think that's half the battle. I'm sure for a lot of actors who've been doing it for a long time, you know, I, we know that you're nervous. We know that you forget lines. You know, we know how terrifying it is and we know that, you know, everything's at stake here. You know, you want this job so badly and we get that. And there's not, oh, that's enough, nice. there's, not that's enough, really nice. there's not enough work to go around. I'm, I mean, we know that. If we were just a huge flourishing, you know, business, then you could do 10 auditions a week and, and, and be happy with one, you know. So I suppose we, we get that. But, you know, we also, for you, you need to look after yourself in that situation. Um, but, of course, yeah, if you bomb it, I mean, unless you're terrible. And the only time I get upset is if you haven't learned the lines and you you know, you haven't prepared and you've wasted my time and yours because it is, you know, 20 minutes of wasted time. Mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, I've heard, um, that's why I asked the question, I have heard that if an, an actor at some stage bombs an audition, it's like a no-no and that casting director won't call them back again. No, you'd have to be pretty bad consistently for a two-year period <laughs> for me to go, okay, this person's just not improving or doing any work. I mean, laziness shows. I can tell when someone's lazy or mm -hmm. having work. And I've heard every excuse under the book, you know, car accidents, my mother died, <laughs> you know, and I get it. You know, people have lives. I have a life. But when I'm in the room and, if, you know, if I had a car accident, I'd still come to work and you wouldn't even know that I'd had whatever shit. I've just broken up with my husband or, you know, my kid's in hospital, whatever. You know, if I have to be in the room, I'm going to try and give every actor that, you know, from nine in the morning to six at night, if I'm in the studio, and, you know, some of the actors I know and I can go, <laughs> you know, something shit happened to me today, you know, and I, or someone screamed at me or I got in trouble. I mean, I might get in trouble by a producer or a director. I'm, you know, I'm carrying on to some, something that's happening. When we go in the room, you know, it's your time and I try to do the best, as you do when you come in and you're professional and you try and do good work. But if someone says to me, you know, oh, sorry, I just didn't have time. I was working late last night and I just didn't learn the lines. I go, well, you know, that's, it's rare, but I usually go, oh, leave, piss off, you know, you didn't work properly. That's just lazy. And why did you bother coming in? Yeah. But it's a bit like what we were talking about, pronunciation and, and learning grammar and, and actually doing your homework. You know, there's nothing worse than having, having a dumb actor in the room that hasn't <laughs> up a book. You know, and I have to tell them how to say something or what the meaning yeah. of something is before. And when, when I've had 20 actors come in and they know exactly what the meaning of that word is or the, the backstory of that, that story. And, you know, people, someone will come and go and say, what's some, you know, what does um, Black Lives Matter mean? Or what does, you know, the Stolen Generation, what is the Stolen Generation? And you go, are you for real? Like, yeah. do it. And I just go, oh, you know, and so that happens, but rarely. And yeah. Just, the bombs, rarely. They rarely bomb. I, I, I'm always consistently, Australian, that's why Australian actors are so respected and loved overseas, because they are well, well prepared. You know, they, they treat it respectfully. They look after themselves. You know, I mean, I'm more concerned about, for me, when an actor leaves and I can see that they wanted to do something in the room that they tried really hard and they prepared and then they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And then they 
they beat themselves. I can see the disappointment and the shattered, you know, and I worry about their mental health as they leave. And usually if that's the, and I know that actor well, or I've seen them for years, I will ring them if I've got their number or I'll ring their agent and say, I'm really concerned about that actor. I saw them and they'll be driving home, you know, and just drive into a pole. <laughs> Not that they will, but you know, they, they're beating themselves up over something that was, you know, it was okay. And if that happens, then usually also come do the do a self test or come back again and do it because those things happen too. But well, you know we're not monsters. But at the same token, um, and bombing, yeah, everyone bombs. Everyone oh bombs. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, bomb. I'm in the room. And I'm, oh my god, I have no idea how to give direction. I don't know what to say. You know, and I'm sure you've been in situations where the casting directors go, yeah, good. Do you want to do it again? You know, yeah. like nothing. And you go, well, can I do it any other way? And they, there is nothing, you know, because they don't know what to say. You know, we're not geniuses. <laughs> and sometimes I just go, yeah, that was really, I mean, it was really good. If you want to play with it or do something else, then go for it or, you know, tweak it. But mostly if we don't give you any direction, it's probably because you nailed it. Oh, that's so, thank you so much. It was great. I'm glad I asked that question. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> good question. Hi, Nisha. Thanks for doing this. Hi, Sunny. Nice to see you. Hi, Charmaine. Um, my question is, well, firstly, the casting of Mystery Road was just amazing. Um, both seasons, great. Really enjoyed it. But the role of uh, Wayne Blair really stood out for me. Can I get the casting process for the role, the character of Larry that he played? Um, how many people were seen? Like, were they given the whole arc of the character, seeing that, like, how the story progresses. Um, just, just some insight on that. Well, you're referring to series one, and I'll just let everyone know, series one, and there was a character that Wayne Blair played, playing a man who got out of jail under the, everyone thought he was the pedophile, he'd molested someone in the community, an Aboriginal girl in the community. Um, and so all the way through the series, he protests his innocence or just kind of reluctantly resists. And, and, and of course we find out at the end, he was set up, he wasn't the pedophile, and it was someone else. So part of that, we knew the storyline, and we talked about the actors that could have played it because they were quite big roles. And I think it was Ernie, Ernie Dingo was the other character who was the, who was the elder of the community, yep. who was the actual um, sex offender. So we talked about just those two actors. We talked about a lot of actors, but we talked about who could play an elder and who could, we could swap. And initially, Ernie was going to play the, the pedophile, oh, okay. the wronged pedophile, and Wayne was going to play the elder, who was the thing. So after a lot of discussion, we, and, you know, and Wayne, Wayne was very much involved in this too, you know, we kind of went, let's swap it over. So let's make, let's make Ernie be the big man in town and who is the real offender and, and, and Wayne play that. Um, and it worked a treat. So we did, we, it was a lot of discussion about who should play what. And we did swap around and talk. And that was between, you know, the, the writers and Rachel, Rachel um, Perkins and Darren Dale are producers and then Wayne came in and then and then just Wayne just created his own character around that just a you know man who was wrongfully released from jail was holding a secret everyone knew that the elder of the community Ernie was the sex offender yeah you know and of course they were no one like in very complicated communities you know everyone knows who the offenders are but they don't go to the police about it and you can get hurt if you do. So this is a very complex Indigenous story in a community that was that's quite common. And so that was the complexity of that story was, you know, you shut up and just get on with it and stay out. And Ernie then gets found out. So 
in interesting, really interesting. But it could have yes. gone, gone both ways. It could have gone either way. But I think, you know, Ernie was great for the shiny, glossy, elder, you know, big man in town. And Wayne just played a really subtle performance. Because if you look at it, he doesn't say much at all, but his eyes are just on the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you don't know. You, right up to the end, you just think, you assume he is the, you know, yep. he's out of jail and he's done it. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, beautiful, beautifully played. Wayne did a great job. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. Like the show. Hi, Violet. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for this. Good. Um, my question is sort of around uh, when you were just talking earlier and I sort of thought of this, about like knowing yourself and knowing how you come across and knowing uh, what you need to do to sort of tweak that stuff. Um, do you think there is some logic in uh, the sort of auditions that an, an actor might get should give you a bit of an indication for yourself as an individual of like how people are seeing you or how people are, I don't know, translating you. Is that, does that make sense? Well, yeah. Um, yes and no. I, yes. I mean, I suppose, you know, we lock people into stereotypes ultimately, don't we? I mean, I suppose we all do it. And then we try and then, you know, our job as casting director is to, to try and cast outside that box and to cast against what you present. Um, which is exactly what we were talking about with, um, you know, just that last question. Mm -hmm. And can that actor play that against what they come across as, you know? And so I wouldn't get too upset about that. But yes, there is, you know, if you if you if you can play a cop or a detective, there has to be something physically imposing sometimes about the way you present yourself. I mean, it all depends on what roles and what you're playing. But yeah, there's sometimes a, just a physical aspect of who you are. And if you've got a, you know, if you're playing a principal of a school, then can you, do you, can you carry that, you know, you've been doing it for 10 years and you are the boss of that place. doesn't mean you can't have heart. Of course you play opposite that. You've, at home, you could be a drunk. Yet at school, you present as someone who's got their shit together and is running a very, you know, successful school, high school. But at home, your life's a mess. I mean, this is the complexity of people. So um, it's whether you can play, you know, as you looking at you and your age and your, you know, your, your, the way you present yourself, can you play a school teacher or a policewoman? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I guess, um, sorry, I guess just to clarify, maybe I get my, my question is sort of, do you recommend for actors, I guess, to take that and go, cool, that's how people are seeing me. I should sort of play into that if I'm thinking about picking a showreel scene. Or if you feel yourself as being quite different to that, if you have different characteristics, is it sort of maybe there's something to just going a bit bolder and going, no, this is who I am and I want to sort of put my foot down a little bit and be like, this is what I can do, even I if that's not how you're being perceived? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you're in control of you. You're in control of where you want to be and who you want to be seen. I mean, I don't know your personal life. I don't know what goes on behind your door. You've got to bring that to the room. So you might, you know, we might see, and like everybody, we have stereotypes, we look at people, we make judgments, and it's total bullshit. So you need to come in and go, okay, this is how I want to be perceived. This is the way I want to play the roles. And and then be what you present, you know, or, or defy the odds, show us. You know, so certainly don't go, well, I'm, I play these characters, therefore I'm just going to stay in this. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, I mean, I know people's lives and personal lives, it's irrelevant to, to me. I don't, I can't know 20,000 actors' personal lives and, and what relevance does it have for me? You're the one that needs to know yourself. You're the one that needs to make that decision about how you are presenting yourself or what you're capable of doing and how to act those roles. 
So, you know, if you can be a hardcore, you know, um, you know, cop who beats people up and you're five foot one, go for it. You're full <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, this is the reality, you know, for, I mean, I'm talking about cops because cops, I mean, the height uh, restrictions gone now. It used to be that certain cops had to be, I think, a certain height. Now it's open slather. So, you know, people say cops need to be, you know, five foot six and quite imposing if they're in constables in, in uniform because they're on the street, they're on the beach and they're having to kind of, you know, one out of four arrests is a physical altercation so if you're a little frail tiny thing you know it's unlikely going to pull some guy out of the car and have you know like riots as we've seen every day this week those riot squads are big massive guys some of them little short ones but you know they're kind of they they're imposing that's no they know they're trained they know how to kind of take one person down four of them to take one person down but you know they they are physically imposing and it comes with a bluffed up even if they're behind the shield and they've got battens you know, it comes with a headspace. And so if you, if you can do that, great. Mm. I mean, I'm talk, I'm talking Thank you. <laughs> hey, Matt. Um, so my question is, um, is it, it's specifically about Australian TV. Is it helpful for you? Because uh, I grew up in America, I've lived here for 20 years, but I still sound like this. Is it helpful for you to hear this voice when I'm auditioning or do you want to hear an Australian accent? Australian accent would be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. Unless we're asking for Americans, but I think if you're going for an audition for an Australian pro product, yeah, project, it's, it's a disadvantage ultimately. Yeah, okay, great, thanks. Sorry to say that. No, well, no, I mean, it, it's just interesting because, you know, obviously I live here, you know, so I, I'm Australian and people are always like, well, you don't sound Australian. I'm like, well, no, but I, Some Australians know, sound like that. You know what I mean? And sometimes like you'll be like, you know, you'll go into the bush and you'll meet a farmer and they have, you know, an English accent or American accent or whatever. So that's just where that was coming from. Yeah, I would say if you, if you want to, you know, you, you could do it in American accent, but I, I would try and neutralise it at least. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Anusha, thank you so much. I've got one more question for you before um, before you leave us. Thank you for spending the extra time. It's just, uh, I gosh, I love this discussion. But um, what are you watching at the moment? What do you recommend for people, you know, whether it's Australian or American, to watch some fine acting? Oh, God, that you put me on the spot. I, I've just watched so much stuff. You know, from, <laughs> from normal people to... I'm watching a lot of documentaries at the moment on NITV and SBS and ABC, um, I'm sounding like a bit of a wanker, but, it, but I kind of, I've exhausted um, long form television at the moment. I'm just thinking about, oh God, what have I watched that I love? You know, obviously I'm watching Mystery Road. Um, oh, there's another Australian thing that I'm watching. Oh, Operation Buffalo, which is coming incrementally, which I worked on. Uh, I should watch that. Uh, yeah, oh God, I can't remember. Everything, everything and anything. Um, on behalf of everyone, and thank you to the MEAA for having us, I just want to say a huge thank you to you. That was such a gorgeous conversation. You're a beautiful, beautiful human, and thank you for sharing so openly and mm -hmm. frankly. And I'm sure you'll see many of the participants in your rooms over the next year or however much. So, um, But thank you. That was wonderful, and it was such a treat. So, Thank you. Pleasure, and hope you guys are all looking after yourselves. Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.